Hi everyone! Unfortunately, there were some issues with Crystal's recording and her microphone getting unplugged, so the sound quality isn't as good as usual in this episode. Apologies for that. Hello and welcome to episode 50 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to properly understand the nuanced differences between objectivity and subjectivity. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about what makes a board game bad. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like 1889 and Sunset Over Water, Then, we talk about the factors that can make a board game objectively bad. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word bad. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie and Crystal. So before we head into the main part of the episode, we have a couple of announcements. About a week and a half ago now, on April 1st, we were part of the most serious board game (laughs) award show ever very serious <laughs> on april 1st the sniffies which were a board game award show about how board games smell <laughs> <laughs> super serious very serious uh we were we were lucky enough to be invited by flip flory of flip flory's super saturday board game serial to take part in the very first annual sniffy awards and we got to present two awards in during that show so head over to the podcast feed for Flip Flory Super Saturday Board Game Serial and check it out. It was a lot of fun for us to do and it's it's a pretty fun episode in general. So go check that out. <laughs> and in other news, Crystal is continuing her world domination of podcasting and, <laughs> <laughs> and she has joined the Dice Tower tonight as a full-time host. So the Dice Tower tonight is uh, the Dice Tower's video podcast series that happens every two weeks. It used to be just Tom and Eric, but now it's Tom and Eric and Crystal. Woo-hoo! And they go on YouTube every two weeks. The first one that Crystal was on was April 4th. April 4th. So it's on Wednesdays every two weeks. So you and should it's check live. it out. Yes, it's live. I can't go for the first half because I'm at work. But <laughs> yeah, check it out. Yeah, it's at 6 p.m. Pacific, <laughs> 9 p.m. Eastern, every other Wednesday. And I guess it's easy to remember because it's the weeks that we don't record or release episodes on our feed. So if it's a Blitz week, no Dice Tower tonight. If it's not a Blitz week, there is a Dice Tower tonight. And I'm really excited. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I guess the schedules (laughs) could change. But I was honored to be asked to join Mm -hmm. the show. And I am so, so excited to be on it. And so I hope you all come and watch, whether you're watching live or you watch it on YouTube after the fact. And I appreciate your all's support. Recently, I've been playing some games of 1889, History of Shikoku Railways. I haven't talked about this on Recently Played before, but I think I've mentioned it other, elsewhere. Yeah, this but, is the one that you usually say is kind of one of the good gateway 18xx games, yes. if I'm correct. Okay. Yeah, so 1889 is a good beginner 18xx games. It's actually the one that I like best as a beginner game. I used it to teach Cassidy. It has similar rules to 1830, which is the classic 18xx game, uh, but it has a smaller map with easier track lays, so it's easier to get into, and it's a shorter playtime, and it only has seven companies instead of eight companies, which makes it so uh, the diesels might the diesel trains might not come out and someone might not go bankruptcy. 
So hold, before for the record, though, when you say a shorter playtime for those <laughs> listening, what what exactly does that mean? A shorter playtime is about three hours usually. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I just don't yeah. want people going, "Ooh, is there like a really short HNX games no. game?" Well, not. So, yeah. It's shorter, definitely. Yeah. It it's usually three hours or less for 1889 in our group. But yeah, before this year, I used it mostly to introduce people. But this year I've played it twice with people who already know 18xx games and it's still a lot of fun. And it's fun with people who know how to play because you get to see different things happening because people are like experimenting with different strategies. So I've played twice, once at BlitzCon with an 18xx player and he was doing some crazy stuff. He had four companies at a time and was like moving trains around a lot. And he had a couple diesel trains, which are like the best trains and... They can go unlimited routes, which is crazy. But then because in 1889, the bank is smaller than in other 18xx games. And that's how one of the game end conditions was in is when the bank runs out. So the bank ran out before he could do anything with his trains. But if it were larger, it would have continued going on and he could have dumped two trainless companies on me which is really bad because then I have to buy trains myself and I don't, I have to like use all of my money to do that. So, but I had like, that was a risk that I was willing to take because I realized that the bank was small. And so I I invested in his companies knowing that, or hoping that the bank would run out (laughs) before he could like screw me over. (laughs) So that, that was pretty interesting. And, um, we've also been playing on, uh, we have a group that plays on Friday nights sometimes, 18xx games, but uh, last year we played 1880 a lot, as I mentioned, but that one's a longer game, like five hours, But th- so it's nice to play a shorter game that's only like three hours on a Friday night because it's late and we want to go to bed, <laughs> but yeah, so that was fun. In that game, the diesel trains didn't come out. Uh, diesel trains actually rust four trains, which makes um, anyone who has a four train hurts them. So if someone has multiple four trains and they're doing really well, then you want to buy a diesel train to hurt them because then you have a chance to come out ahead. But in the game we played, everyone had one four train. And so no one had uh, advantage from that. So no one really had an incentive to get a diesel train. So it's interesting how we could see that earlier decisions impacted the later decisions because there was a chance for someone to get two four trains earlier on, but he didn't do that. That was Toby. Um, (laughs) He could have gotten two four trains, but he didn't. And then later on, no one wanted to get a diesel because of that. So that was interesting, I thought. But anyway, 1889 is a great intro 18xx game, but also good for players who... I already know how to play 18xx. It's still really fun. Very cool. Oh, I forgot to say, it's it was published in 2005, designed by Yasutaka Ikeda, and it's published by Deep Thought Games, so you can buy it online, uh, but it's also available as print and play, and that's what our version is, print and play. So I recently got a game in the mail that just shipped from a Kickstarter. And I will admit, like in 2016, I did good. I didn't back a ton of Kickstarters. In 2017, I did less good. So I have a lot of Kickstarters that are coming soon. And this is one that I was really excited about. It is Sunset Over Water, uh, published in 2018 from Pencil First Games and designed by Eduardo Baroff, Steve Finn, and Keith M. I'm not going to pronounce his last name, so I'm not going to mess it up. 
Uh, and then the art is by Benjamin Shulman, Beth Sobel, and Helen Zhu. In Sunset Over Water, the players are each artists who are hiking through the wilderness to paint beautiful landscapes in an attempt to earn the most renown. So there's a, the wilderness is built up of a grid of tw uh, 25 cards in a five by five grid and players simultaneously select planning cards, which determine the turn order as well as the direction and the number of spaces that that player can move through the wilderness and how many landscapes that they're allowed to paint that day. The art is breathtakingly gorgeous. Like I, I've talked about Beth Sobel's art a hundred times in the past, <laughs> but when we broke this game out the first time and as we were like flipping up cards to add to the wilderness each round and new ones would come up, we would just literally like gasp at how pretty <laughs> some of them are. And oh, I cannot, I cannot say enough things about how good it looks. The components are also really, really high quality. And the gameplay is very easy to learn, but it's more simple than I think I wanted out of this game. And that's saying a lot because I really liked their previous title, um, Herbaceous, which I've talked about before, uh, actually just fairly recently as well. I don't like this as much as Herbaceous. I did enjoy it, but some of the mechanics don't mesh with the theme as well as I thought that they should. For instance, um, like I said on those planning cards, your turn order is determined by um, who picks the card with the earliest time on it. So if my card says I woke up at 6.15 a.m., that means I'm likely going to go before, you know, or that I am going to go before someone who picked a time that says 8.30 a.m. But a lot of those early time cards, because they give you the benefit of going first, sometimes allow you to do less actions because you're getting the benefit of going first. But thematically, in our heads, we were like, well, if we were waking up earlier, wouldn't you have more time to do things? Whereas, like, on some of the cards, you wake up at, like, 1230 in the afternoon and you get to paint a whole bunch of things. And that <laughs> doesn't really fit. You're more um, efficient because yeah, you like, got more sleep. I, You know what? Maybe that's it. Maybe you're just or so distracted by the sunrise and its splendor <laughs> that you can't move on to anything else. But really, you score points by collecting, uh, by completing uh, either the daily goal or different commissions that are available each round. And the commissions are just specific types of paintings with symbols on them that you need to sell. Um, it's it's too simple, I think, for what it is. I still like it. I'm still happy I own it. But I think it's not going to hit the table as much as Herbaceous. And honestly, I think this is now the third game that I own that is painting themed. <laughs> and I didn't even realize that that was a thing. But I now own Kanagawa starving artists and sunset over water and i prefer both of the former over the latter i think kanagawa is a different feel of a game starving artists honestly feels kind of similar to this one but more thematic for me so uh while i liked sunset over water i didn't like it as much as i wanted to and that was kind of a bummer but honestly the art alone made it like pretty enjoyable because just <laughs> Seeing all those cards come out, I was like, oh, yeah, that's beautiful. It's lovely. So that is Sunset Over Water. Yeah, I got to play a prototype version of that with Eduardo. And, yeah, it was really pretty. But, yeah, I thought it was pretty simple, too. Yeah, but it was, just, I... it, was, it, it was interesting, like, talking to him about it because he's, like, a manager of the designers. So they designed the game, and then he, like, brought it together and got everyone organized together so 
that, that's an interesting process to hear about. It is. And I like that it's simple. This would be a really good game to introduce, mm-hmm. I think, to newer gamers. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there is some strategy in it. Don't get me wrong. It's not, there's no there's some interesting decisions to be had, but just not mm-hmm. as many interesting decisions as I kind of wanted out of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay, Ambi, so I know we generally try to keep the show positive and, you know, we try to look at the bright side of things, but our topic this week is not exactly that. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. I mean, I think we can, we can, we can take this in a positive direction, but we, we were curious about what aspects of a game make it bad and not what make it bad to an individual person, but what make it bad objectively And we put a call out on our Board Game Geek Guild and on social media for people to chime in on what their thoughts were. And who boy, did we get a lot of comments that were subjectively bad things, (laughs) not objectively bad things. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, that kind of shows how it's hard to say that a game is objectively bad. Like I have a problem saying that games are bad because if I think a game is bad other people could think it's good most of the time if it's a published game I guess like someone thought it was good (sighs) that's a I mean that's a good point because especially where we're at in the current board game landscape I feel like publishers are more discerning than ever and therefore generally if something is being published it's likely it's good to somebody but then there's also the aspect of, oh, all these other games are getting on Kickstarter and they're not mm-hmm. by big publishers. It's just by somebody who's doing potentially a passion project. And so then it looks like a published game, but it could still be bad. <laughs> so what, what were the themes that came up that we think kind of are ob- reasons that a game could be objectively bad in that it's, it would not be good for anyone for specific reasons? Yeah, so I think the ones that stood out to me were possibly rule books being bad or components being bad. Like, uh, if components are broken or, or like, they fall apart so you can't use them. So actually unusable components and unusable rules would make a game bad because then you can't actually play the game. And I think to clarify, the, the rule book thing, there are good rule books that are difficult to understand Mm -hmm. but i think what we're talking about specifically is lots of typos or mistakes Mm -hmm. that then detract from your ability to learn the game or play the game and you know we've experienced that with some games in the past Uh, island hopper which i blazed through in our last (laughs) episode uh while the game itself had fun in it the rule book was really bad in a lot of ways. But in that instance, there were specific aspects of it that were bad, but we were still able to discern most of the game from it. So then mm-hmm. is it bad or not? And this uh, trying to wrap my head around this topic has been an exercise in futility for me <laughs> because every time I think, oh, well, that's bad, there's usually a caveat of some kind. Yeah. And then the rule book thing is interesting because then people can update the rule books online now or... A lot of people learn from other people who've played it. So one game, like Myth was a game that had a horrible rulebook, but the Dice Tower people really liked it because they learned from the designer, not the rulebook. And other people were trying to learn from the rulebook and couldn't learn how to play the game. 
but uh, apparently it's a fun game if you know the rules. I, and I think there was a new edition that maybe has better rulebooks, so then it's better. But like we tried to play with the original rulebook, and we couldn't figure out how to play. Yeah. And I've, I've mentioned it on the show before, but like I played Mythos Tales uh, last mm. year, and I was playing with the original edition of the game, yeah. and honestly had a miserable time with a lot of it because... Well, it wasn't even the rule book. It was the components themselves had so many mistakes yeah. on them and within them that it made parts of the game unplayable. And, yeah. oh, gosh, I really <laughs> I've heard that the the newest versions of the errata make it better. And I know our friends over at the Hooked on Geek podcast have raved about their experience with Mythos Tales with uh, a newer edition of the game. And so it's but what's what sucks for me is I'll never get to experience mm-hmm. that because I played through the entire campaign with the old version and I can't play through it again. Yeah. So I can't really change my opinion on the game because of that. And I, I'm bummed because I feel like I missed out on potentially a much more enjoyable experience. Yeah, that's the problem with one-time play games. If they're if they have mistakes, then then you're just screwed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. We got a few comments from people saying that they don't know if there is objectively bad things in board games. Like, mm-hmm. is something can a single thing be objectively bad? And I would say that, yes, there can be, but not very many. As we've discussed, the components in the rulebook specifically can be objectively bad. If the rulebook cannot teach you how to play the game without outside help, that's bad. And if the components cannot function in the way they were intended. Like if you had the game of life, for instance, and the spinner was broken, (laughs) you would not be able to play the game as intended. Yeah. So now admittedly, a broken component can be just something that happens after the fact. But if a game ships and does not work as intended originally, then, you know, that's problematic. But a lot of the comments that we got were were things that are definitely subjective and but a lot of people recognized that when they commented they said you know this is a bad thing but I guess that's my subjective opinion on it and I think that that's the case for a lot of aspects because board games are meant to be fun and fun is a subjective experience yes (laughs) you can have fun with a bad game theoretically Mm -hmm. but is that is the fun then coming from the game itself or the experience you're having with the people you're with. So how much does the game have to facilitate that fun for the game to, in and of itself, counteract its own badness? <laughs> that got weird. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's kind of like watching bad movies. In high school, my friends got together and we had bad movie night where we would watch a pretty bad movie and just laugh at it. And like <laughs> we're having fun because it's a bad movie or... <laughs> I don't know like where the fun comes from, if the movie helps or just we would have fun anyway. <sighs> but yeah, with I, games, I guess it's different because the goal of the game is to have fun. Whereas in a movie, it's not it's not supposed to be making you laugh necessarily um, if it's a bad movie. <laughs> well, and in, in you, what's interesting is what you just said won't be true for everybody because some people, I think most people play games to have fun, but there mm-hmm. are people whose enjoyment of a game stems from winning it. Whether that's the way they should approach it or not, then is the, can the fun be had if the game isn't playable? (laughs) This whole, (laughs) this whole episode is me just going to be positing like uh, 
questions to nobody in the void because I just, yeah, it's a really just weird topic. People's different definitions of fun then. Because then they have fun by winning. That's fun still, I think. That's true, but yeah. And I, it's interesting, the movie comparison, because, you know, there's cult classic movies that mm-hmm. would be considered bad in the pantheon of movies as a whole, but have created these mm-hmm spectacular experiences i'm a big fan of the rocky horror picture show and i've been to a whole bunch of midnight showings of rocky where the audience is yelling things at the screen and throwing things in the air and those are some of my best movie going experiences ever is anytime i go to rocky because we're dancing (laughs) and we're yelling and it's it's an experience and i love that movie but i recognize that plot-wise and character-wise and all of the things that, you know, make a quote-unquote good movie don't necessarily exist within it, but I love it anyway, so. That happens with games, too. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I mean, there's plenty of games that a lot of people consider to be bad that Mm -hmm. other people really enjoy and can play. Mm -hmm. So we, we as gamers tend to look at things, I think, through... What's the opposite of rose-colored glasses? Like, poo-colored glasses, (laughs) maybe? Like, we tend to look back on things that we once enjoyed. And because board games have stepped up their quality and their depth and complexity over the years, I think we tend to look back on older things and sometimes maybe put a disproportionate amount of dislike or Mm -hmm. disdain toward them. Monopoly is a great example of that. Monopoly is a game that a lot of hobby gamers tend to look down upon. And if you play Monopoly by the rules printed in the box, it's not that bad, really. But everybody grew up playing with house rules where you put a bunch of money under free parking and you nobody did the auctions like they were supposed to. Mm -hmm. And it ruins the game. Yeah. My husband Toby used to play Monopoly a lot by the right rules and he really liked it and I kind of want to play again because he's actually really good at it and I'm not because <laughs> I played it once with him and his brother and they were like doing all the auctions and trading and stuff and I was completely lost because I don't know what I'm doing when I play Monopoly <laughs> but lot, yeah, it yeah. Was pretty, it, would, it only lasts like 30 minutes or less <laughs> I mean, that's not true for most people, for the record. No, but, like, if you play by the rules and, like, don't have AP, it should last, like, 30 minutes. In theory, yeah. It's just, it can get tough with the math because having to figure out things like luxury tax and all that other stuff can be hard for some people. So, but it's interesting because we, a lot of people say, oh, Monopoly is a bad game, when what they really mean to say is, I don't like Monopoly. And what's Mm -hmm. funny is, even that second statement probably wouldn't be true if they actually gave Monopoly a fair shake. Ha ha ha. (laughs) Dice and all that. Uh, So, and it's the same thing with games like, well, it's not the same thing. There are other games that this is, this kind of applies to. A lot of people uh, cast a lot of hate toward Munchkin. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are aspects of Munchkin that I, as a gamer, do not enjoy. Mm -hmm. But does that make it a bad game? And... For me personally, I think there's one particular aspect of Munchkin that makes it less good than a lot of other games, but the game as a whole is not bad. Yeah, that's and hard, a lot of kind people of like it. So. <laughs> yeah, and Mun- I mean, a lot of people played that game as one of their first hobby board games, and there's something to be said about a game that's playable and enjoyable at a certain point in your 
career as a gamer. <laughs> I don't know if career is the right word there, but you know. Hobby? Hobby? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, th- this is why I have a problem saying a game is bad because even though I don't like a game, it's like it's bad to me, but not to other people because a lot of people like, I don't like Munchkin, but a lot of people do. So it's good for them. And I've had, I don't like Munchkin either, but I've also had fun playing Munchkin in the past. Mm-hmm. If I think... Most people, when they want to judge a game, maybe need to, A, look at, you know, whether it's them or whether it's the game. And sometimes it's you. Sometimes a game isn't for you, but that doesn't make it bad. Mm-hmm. And this oh, this will actually end up tying into our discussion that we're going to have in our next episode a little <laughs> bit. But I'm not going to spoil that now. So uh, basically what it boils down to is while fun is subjective... There are things that can be objectively bad about games, but maybe don't judge a game too quickly. <laughs> I play games with my coworkers sometimes, and they're at a different spot in the hobby than I am because they're newer to board games. And they like games like Munchkin. And there, there was a game I did a review of that was uh, Cat. It was like Cards Against Humanity with Cats. I forget what it was called. But I didn't really like it, but my coworkers were having fun with it. And some of my other friends were having fun with it too. So it's like, okay, it's good for people that like cats and are more party game type people, but it's not for me. So it, it's interesting like playing with different types of people and seeing that games are good for different types of people. Absolutely. And it's important to note that if somebody else is having fun with a thing, assuming that it is not problematic or offensive, mm-hmm. you know, um, which we, there's a, we've discussed that kind of stuff in the past. Like, let people have fun. Let people enjoy the yeah. things that they enjoy. And if somebody likes a thing that you don't like, that's okay. Don't, <laughs> yeah. you know, you, you shouldn't look down on a person or make fun of them or say rude things to them just because they like a game that you think is bad. Mm-hmm. Because everybody gets to have their own brand of fun. And if we all liked the exact same things, how boring <laughs> would that be? <laughs> For this week's etymology segment, we're going to look at the history of the word bad. In a first for this segment, I have found a word that has very little traceable roots through other languages. The English word bad originated in the 1300s, but was rarely used until the 1700s as an antithesis for the word good. Prior to that time, the word evil was almost exclusively used as good's antithesis. So the word bad has no apparent relatives in other languages. Although there are some old English words that it does relate to, but they were all derogatory in nature. And while they were the most likely source for where this term originated, I'm not going to say them here for fear of saying something offensive, even though they are older words that are not commonly used today. So while those derogatory terms aren't used any longer, at least to my knowledge, They are also scarcely found in literature of the time that they were more popular, as they were generally just parts of vulgar speech that were used as terms of abuse. So while the origins of the word bad appear to be, well, pretty bad, thankfully there are lots of other more lovely words and lots of board games that aren't bad at all, at least not objectively bad. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Board Game Geek Guild. 
This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. Make sure to grab a copy of Rising 5, The Runes of Astros, which is available now in a friendly local game store near you and at grayfoxgames.com. Gray Fox Games, quality games cleverly crafted. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to show us a little love, you can become a patron for as little as $1 a month. Just head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz. Our patrons get a lot of benefits, including access to our private Slack channel where you can chat with us directly anytime. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Check out the other shows in the network by visiting dicetowernetwork.com. Until next time, because it's bad, it's bad, Blitz on. Bye, everyone. Bye. Generally, especially where we are, we're, where we're, goodness gracious. Yeah. Monopoly is a game that I think most hobby gamers tend to kind of uh, turn their nose at. Turn their nose at? Is that the phrase? That's not the phrase. Snub. Oh. Stick their nose at, up at? What is the phrase? Okay, whatever. Hello, and welcome to episode 50 of, oh wait, we should have, shoot. We should have said something in the <laughs> announcements about this episode 50. <laughs> It's okay. We'll have this in the bloopers. <laughs> oh my gosh. How? Why do we? This is what we get for recording the intro at the end, which is smart, but technically bad for things but like we, this. But we have 50 up in the notes. <laughs> this is episode 50, Can't read. everyone. And Yay. Ambie's apparently going to put this in the bloopers. But holy cow, <laughs> how is that a thing? We've done 50 episodes. Wow. That's really cool. <laughs> okay, now I'm going to actually do the intro. <laughs>